If you have your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up and the ushers will grab one for you. Thank you for being a part of this, uh, this journey with us through Hebrews. Uh, two weeks ago, we were in uh, chapter 4, just before this, one of our elders, Danny, uh, taught that section. Last week, we, we kind of skipped ahead into the family service and, and we were doing uh, Hebrews 11. But one of the things that we have to kind of understand about this book, and I've said it over and over and over again, is that this book was never really meant to be broken up by week basis. This was just meant to be one continuous sermon. This was a, a teaching that was, that was all the way through. So we are going to build off of things that we've talked about in the past, but we're also going to be talking about something that you're going to need to know because we've covered an aspect of it before. And today is, is just like that. We're going to cover a, a huge, huge theme that the author literally spends the next two, three chapters on. We're going to highlight a little bit of it today and then be into another challenging message next week and then jump back into it three weeks after that. So he kind of just kind of weaves this theme in place. And so I'm going to encourage you guys to catch up on the podcast or listen to stuff if you haven't, if you haven't done that or, or continue to be reading it so you can stay connected to what God's trying to speak to you in this. But if you remember two weeks ago, the conversation, the teaching was specifically around the surgery table. Daniel was talking about how, how we are, as followers of Jesus, we are setting ourselves on the table to be cut by the Word of God, which is Jesus Christ. And, and, and he, is our, he is our surgeon. So we don't have to worry about how much malpractice insurance the surgeon has because he's perfect. And Jesus wants to cut away the things of you that are not connected to him, that are not submitted to the word. And, and he, Danny challenged you guys to, to lay yourselves before the Lord. Let him cut you the way that he is saying he can, the way that he wants to, and the way that he is capable of doing. And then it jumps in, kind of end of verse 14 of, of chapter 4, starts talking about this high priest again. And we've talked about that a little bit back in chapter 2. And, and it begins in the idea of saying, look, this is what's beautiful about the person that's cutting you. This is the high priest, Jesus Christ. He is, your, he is your surgeon. He is able to sympathize with you. He understands what you're going through. He knows, like Danny shared, he knows even more so because he was tempted in every way that you and I are, except he never succumbed to sin. So his temptation got stronger and stronger and stronger. And so you have this person that's been highlighted as a high priest, and that's that's the context where we are, and then we'll talk about the high priest a little bit today, and we'll talk about it more in a few weeks, and then next week, the author is just going to kind of slap us across the face again with a pretty tough word as well. So let's, let's go ahead and read it in chapter, or chapter 5, verse 1. I'm going to go back to verse 14, since that's a theme that kind of comes in this out of chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. 
Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so there's this huge section here, and I, I was, I've been wrestling. I was asking for a few people to help me create this, but this, this idea of Jesus being our high priest, it doesn't really land very heavy on most of us today. Most of us don't have a pretty healthy understanding of, of, of first century Judaism or, or the old covenantal system and how, how it operates. And so most, most of us, when we think of Jesus as a high priest, we're like, cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean the scriptures say it, it's good, but neat. It's like trying to describe a budget to my four-year-old. She may get the idea that, hey, budgeting is healthy and it's good, and here's, here's where it is. And she trusts me most of the time, and so she would say, okay, well, Dad, you say it's good, and so I'll do it. But she doesn't have any foundation or understanding what budgeting really means. She has no idea of money coming in, money going out. What does is, what is all that mean? And for you and I today, I feel like that's a lot like the high priest. Most of us would go, okay, I mean, I, I get sort of, I mean, depending upon how much of you are wanna champs in here, like maybe you got some scripture memorized around it, you know, but like you, you, you kind of have a, an idea, but the author is relentless. He's going to hit this. He's already talked about this. And then he's going to spend a bunch of chapters 7, 8, and 9 on this very principle and this understanding. And so it seems profoundly important for us to understand. But I was trying to figure out ways to relate it to you. And so I was like, okay, well, like think of having a king. Most of us can't relate to that either. And so no matter how I try to bring the context to us today about how important this role is and why the author is doing this, we have to do some legwork on our own. We have to kind of blow some dust off some old scriptures. We have to, to kind of submit ourselves and say, okay, God, this is here. Why? Why is this so important? Why is this here? It's an interesting point, actually, if you think about even the high priest system when Jesus was around. So at this point, we know that the sacrificial system is still in place in the temple because before, eight, um, before 70 AD when it's destroyed, when actually the high priest role disappears as a whole from, from history until Jesus comes again. And so we, we know that the sacrificial system is still in place, the high priest is still in place, but at this day, at this day and age, the sacrificial system is um, it's kind of a mess. It became more of a political thing than it did actually following where it is. So even the author now speaking about the value of a high priest, most of his current audience is going, I mean, okay, but I mean, really, we've seen Rome place high priests, so how is that really a, a valuable system? But yet, if we go back to the beginning of this book, remember, one of the, the struggles where there were Jewish people that had submitted their lives to Jesus Christ, and now they were risking of sliding back into the religious system because of controversy and, and persecution that had started. And so the author is literally speaking about this high priest that most of us today are going, cool, high priest, like, neat, a priest that's like, hi, like, what does that really mean? I'm, I'm a little confused. And so I, I want to just acknowledge for us today that I understand that most of us probably aren't going to leave here enamored with the high priest position. But my hope is, my hope is that as we study a little bit into this, my hope would be that you'd be a little bit more enamored with Jesus Christ. That you would see another avenue of him. In fact, I'm just going to throw this one out there. I think this is actually one of his biggest characteristic traits, one of his best titles. Because in his title, we'll see that he is not only the perfect sacrifice for our sins, but he is also the perfect advocate for us. He's not only our God, he's also relatable. And so this is, in this one title is a lot of what you and I walk around believing about Jesus is, is tied up in the understanding of this title of high priest. So high priest was, was set, and this name Melchizedek, we're going to spend good time talking about him. This is, he's back with Abraham time. The, the high priest specifically, 
that we're, we're talking about here was after the order of, of Aaron, kind of in the wilderness, and they, they set up the tent and all these things. Leviticus 16 has a list of what the high priest was supposed to do. But the high priest was basically the priest above all priests, okay? And there was a team of priests. They were usually of the, the tribe of Levi, um, descendants of Aaron. And so these were people that God had placed in, and their role was very specific. They would offer up the sacrifices, or they would oversee the other priests offering up sacrifices. Not just sacrifices of animals for sins, but also offerings to the Lord. Uh, burnt offerings or aroma, or these other things. And this was kind of their, their system. They were the only person that was allowed to walk into the innermost place. In, in, in Aaron's day, it was the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence was in the tent, the dwelling tent. And so there would be a veil between that and then the, the temple itself. And then there'd be a, a, a inner mount with kind of fence around it. And then there'd be everything else. The priests were in the inner mount. The, the, whole, uh, the high priest was allowed in there, but he was only allowed in the, the holy place with the Ark of the Covenant one time a year. One time a year. And this, this role, the whole point of this whole system, what's happening here, was God's way of giving man a way to him. It was God's way of giving man a way to him so that they could be right before him. Because we know since Adam that everyone fell and, and, and we've all sinned since. And so no one, no one is, is, is free. And so in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, which, by the way, in, in the next couple chapters we'll talk about Old Covenant, New Covenant. We're going to dig into all this in Hebrews. In the Old Covenant, the, 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 the role of the high priest was, was essentially he was our go-between, our mediator. And so what happened is one year, Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, this is this practice that certain Orthodox Jews still today hold, one time a year they would, they would sacrifice for the sins of the whole year. And so that in that moment, it would be this beautiful opportunity where the, the high priest would change his clothes, he would take in a bowl, he would sacrifice a bowl for his own sins, Okay. So he would sacrifice a bull for his own sins, and then he would, he would take that into the innermost place, and he would spray, uh, take some of that blood and put it on the floor around the Ark of the Covenant, and then he'd come out, and he'd, he'd sacrifice a goat. Now, this is where we get the term scapegoat, by the way. Two, the people would have brought two pure goats to him, and he would cast lots. He would have just figured out which one was which, which one got to, to, to be slaughtered, and which one got to be freed into the wilderness, which I think you'd... It, anyways, that's where we got the term scapegoat. Okay, the freed one was the scapegoat, Okay. And what would happen is they would cast lots, okay, the one that would be sacrificed would be for the covering of the blood, which we'll find out more in Hebrews 9. I'm telling you, just stay with me, okay? We'll, we'll talk about that. And this blood was then spilled to cover the sins of the people. And then what the people would do is confess their sins on the scapegoat, this poor scapegoat, right? Confess all their sins on the scapegoat and then release them to the wilderness as if like out away from us people. And then the, the, the high priest would change back into his other clothes and he would be in place and he would then wait again a year before then. Now, if the high priest hadn't confessed his sin, if he didn't go in place, if he hadn't done that ahead of time, he would have died. He would have died. He was not allowed to be in the holy place without having that done for him. And so here's this system that's been operating over and over and over again since the wilderness. And every single Jewish person has heard about this over and over and over again. And when we get to Jesus on scene, there's, there's two high priests. And that's a little confusing, but because Rome placed one, it was, it was the son of Annas. Anyways, there's really only one, but both play a role. There was never meant to be more than one. There was only ever one that would operate as high priest. But like I said, when Jesus shows up, he, he sees that the religious system has gotten a little bit political and, and out, of, out of whack. And so these high priests have been, for every single Jewish believer, the way to God. Their way to God, their way to be right with God, their way to have a right standing with God was done by this one individual. Now this high priest was a person. So they were still sinful and made mistakes, but they would have been set apart from others. There would have been things that they would have done their whole life, abstained from their whole life to help them be more 
pure-ish. And so most every other person would look at them. Again, it's hard to say around Jesus' time because of the political system, but most every other person would have looked at these high priests in this time and said, they are definitely set apart from me. They are set apart from me. And so the author is literally telling this high priest, wow, I just, I mean, again, just picture, like, it, the temple's still happening. This thing is still happening. The Day of Atonement's coming. It's still happening. And he's saying all this, and he's saying, but it's not that anymore. I'm going I'm to bring up Jesus. And he, he relates Jesus to the high priest. There are some, really, we got to be really, really careful. There are some incredible similarities between Jesus and the high priest, but also some massive differences. Massive differences. And he's, he's setting this out. He's, he's laying this out in here, and he's saying, this is profoundly important for us. This is profoundly important for us to understand. And like I said at the beginning, like budgeting for a three-year-old or four-year-old, it, I mean, we can theoretically get the idea of it, but we really struggle to go, well, okay, how, how is this profound for us? How does, how does this make a difference for us? Well, realistically, without the sacrifices, the Jews had no access to God. Without the sacrifices, they were utterly incapable of achieving righteousness on their own, and they were totally separated from God in their sins. This, this is how every single Jewish person did it. Well, fast forward today, the very same is true of us apart from Christ. Without Christ, there is absolutely no way to God. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, without his blood being spilled, there's no way for you and I to be covered in righteousness. So what the author is talking about is at the foundation of every Jewish believer, like this is how I get to God. This is my mediator. Fast forward a few thousand years, a couple thousand years to us, our mediator is now Jesus Christ. But see, even as I say that, most of us say, yeah, okay, cool. So let's, let's look at this real quickly. I want to make a couple things clear. You can understand specifically how well the people he's speaking to understood the sacrificial system because he didn't really go into definition on it. He just kind of highlights the basics. It's like, here's the, quick, here's the quick understanding of how a high priest happens, which most of these people in this day would have understood. So when we read it, we're like, well, okay, there's some holes missing in it, which is some of the stuff I just explained there. Um, he, he lays out a, a number of different things. In, in verses 1 through 4, he basically lays out the general understanding of what a high priest is. They, they have to be chosen by God. They have to be chosen by God. They offer gifts and sacrifices. They can deal gently with people, whether they're ignorant or wayward, because of their understanding of them as one. Uh, again, the high priest would have had to make right for his and the other priest's sins before he could even do the Day of Atonement stuff. Well, that's a big variance difference between Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't have any sins that he needs to be sacrificed for. That's a, that's a huge difference. And he's making that point. Look, look, they had to be chosen, which, which we know God was chosen. He goes to Psalm 2 and Psalm 110, which we've already talked about when he used to, to lay out Jesus as son, but he also uses that to lay him out as high priest there as well. But we we see that specifically that Jesus, and really if you go back just a few verses in, in chapter 4, that, that Jesus is able to sympathize with us. Why? Because of his humanity. Why? Because, because he, left, he left the throne room of God and took on the form of, of, of human and walked this earth and felt the pain and felt the exhaustion of climbing a hill and felt what it means to, to sweat and, and saw the, the, the firsthand the temptations that came at him. Not only through Satan, but even through every other temptation that you and I have felt. And so we see specifically that Jesus can relate to us. Why is this important? Well, for every single Jewish person, there was something profoundly comforting about understanding that your mediator got you. 
They understand, they know it's not just some positional thing where they just kind of speak at us. But they like really, really remember. Similar to us today where some of us are like, man, the political people don't understand us little people, right? Like we, we kind of differentiate that. Like there's something to be said like, hey, there's someone in a position that is very important and they understand how I work and they understand what I battle with. And the author says Jesus does. He understands because he came in this form. He came here. And then um, it lays out a couple other things that are important. Um, he was, distingu- he was distinguished from the other people. Well, I don't think anyone would make an argument about that with Jesus. And, and no one takes this honor for themselves, but only when God called them. And we see that Jesus was called by God in this position. We see him over and over again in the Gospels. We see back in the order of Melchizedek, where he's going. That's a very, very spiritual name that people are like, wait, what? Like, we will spend a lot, I'm telling you, chapter 7 unleashes that. We're going to get all kinds of fun in that, okay? And, and he, he's saying, look, the comparisons here are very, very powerful, but there's also some clear dividing differences. Jesus never had to make a sin offering for his own sins because he never sinned. Jesus never had to um, do it over and over and over again. One sin for all. And so he's, he's literally doing it. Look, we've, we've heard the gospel story. If you spent any time in the church, you've heard the story in Matthew chapter 27, right? That Jesus breathes his last, he says his last word, he breathes his last. What's torn in two? The veil in the temple. What is the veil separating? It's the holy of holy places. It's the place where only one person is allowed to go. The symbolism in, in that is this system. He's saying, look, I have done away with that. Not in the sense that you don't need a high priest, because believe me, you do, and that's what Jesus is but I've done away with it only being the one person that then goes in and has to sacrifice over and over and over and over again. I've done away with that now. And you now have access not to only be right before me, but to be able to stand in my presence because of who Jesus is. So verses 1 through 4 kind of lay out this unquestionable, drawn the universal understanding within a biblical framework of uh, the principles related to office of high priest. Um, and then, and then the, the verses 5 and 6 kind of proclaim that Jesus um, has been appointed a priest by God, kind of through the quotation of, of Psalm 110. I encourage you to go read that later. And then the last two, he talks specifically about how kind of the, the rite of passage, this, this um, powerful treatment of what the son had to walk in order to qualify for being designated high priest by God. Now, I want to I say there's two words in here that could send us spiraling here, specifically in these last couple verses about Jesus. One is, is the idea of being made perfect, and the other one is obedience. Those are two words that when we, when we funnel through our understanding, we go, wait, 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 hang on. Did Jesus need to learn obedience? Like the Son of God needed to learn how to obey because we just said two verses earlier that he was without sin. So was there ever any disobedience? And, and I, like, this isn't, this isn't that he had to learn obedience. It was that he was displaying his obedience to God to fulfill his role that God commanded of him which is the same thing, made perfect, that word is better translated, uh, translated complete. Jesus completes his work on the cross. He completes his work as the Savior, as the Messiah, as the high priest. It's all completed at the cross. And so Jesus doing that, he does that so that you and I, or anyone that wants to submit their lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior, could be in a right standing with God, we no longer have to worry about finding that goat and, and, and holding our breath that we make it to the end of the day of atonement so that we don't mess, die before that actually is taken care of. We don't have to walk in that, that system where we, we, we keep hoping that God at a distance will hear something of us through this holy person. Instead, Jesus says, no, oh, no, no, through me, I'm now your advocate. I'm now the one speaking to you. So, so 
what does this scripture really mean for us today? Other than, okay, we have a little bit more understanding about the high priest. It means a, a few things. One is, is, and I think these are all things I think that we're at risk of missing. And, and, and I mean it in the dearest and, and, and sweetest way possible. But as, as a pastor, I get the opportunity to walk and sit with a lot of people. And, and, and he, just like I see in my own heart, the propensity for us to, to, to sin and the propensity for us to walk away from the Scriptures is, is, is profoundly simple in our minds. It's is profoundly simple. And I think the issue I have and the struggle and the reason why I think this is so important is that there's three things that I think we can kind of come out of this text that most of us forget on a daily basis. First one is that sin is a really big deal. See, most of us today, we don't see sin as that big of a deal. Now, now hear me out on that. We see what happened in Florida absolutely massively gross and sinful and, and big deal. But then we look, we look right past the pride in our own hearts to that. We look right past our anger, our ability to just bend the truth. It's not a lie. It's just we're just not telling the truth. It's just somehow it's not a lie. We look right past our giving ourselves to addiction. We look right past the very things that the author paused to talk about this high priest right after he said, look, you need to be cut. There's aspects of you that needs to be cut. It needs to be cut out of you because it does not belong there. Sin is a very big deal. You can see that specifically through the understanding of how God set the high priest system up to give his people a chance, some way, some hope. Sin is a really, really big deal. And my fear is, for most of us, is that we minimize it. Ah, we're almost ready. We're almost married. What's sleeping together right now? It doesn't really matter. Ah, you know, I know that we're called to be controlled by the Spirit. I was just a little tipsy. I wasn't drunk. I've been way drunker. Oh, no, no, no. I know, I know I'm supposed to look at her with purity, but I just can't stop looking at the computer screen. Oh, no, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I get it, I get it. I'm supposed to submit, but it's just this one person I don't submit to. They're just my boss. It's cool. I understand I'm supposed to do everything as if I'm doing it for the Lord, but do I really have to do this that way? But we take sin and we just kind of go, bloop, bloop. You know, uh, Danny Pellegrini, who's taught a, a couple weeks ago, he had this analogy he did with youth that stuck with me when he did it for the youth. He talked about a blender, and he said, more often than not, most people ask the question of how far can I go with sin. It's never how far can I flee it. And he says, it's like, it's like sticking your hand in a blender, trying to see just how close you can get to the blade. It's an absolutely ridiculously stupid idea. But yet we do the very same thing with sin. Like the, the, the wages of sin... What you get paid for in sin is death. It doesn't seem like something I want to just kind of dabble in and play with. Sin is a big deal. Why is it a big deal? It cost Jesus his life. His whole form as mediator, as advocate, as, as our go-between to God was culminating on him spilling every bit of his blood for you and I to be right. For those little white lies, for that little relational faux pas, that little go-around, that caveat that we give ourselves to, we make a mockery of what Christ did for us. I don't want to get too hard because I, I promise you in, in a couple weeks it's going to get even harder in the book of Hebrews. But if we don't see sin as a big deal, Jesus being our high priest won't be a big deal either. I want to read a quote. A scholar said this, and it was awesome, so I'm just going to read it to you. Sin is cosmic treason. Sin is treason against a perfectly pure sovereign. It is an act of supreme ingratitude towards the one to whom we owe everything, 
the one who has given us life itself. Have you ever considered the deeper implications of the slightest sin? What are we saying to our Creator when we disobey Him at the slightest point? We are saying no to the righteousness of God. We are saying, God, your law is not good. My judgment is better than yours. Your authority does not apply to me. I am above and beyond your jurisdiction. I have the right to do what I want to do, not what you command me to do. Guys, maybe you wouldn't say that's us when we just dabble in sin. And I, I understand we are going to wrestle and struggle and fight with sin, but so many of us have stopped struggling and fighting. And we just believe that we're wrestling and struggling when really we want it more than we want him. This is the reality here. That's the truth. The second thing that we have to recognize is that forgiveness is costly. For Jesus to forgive us, for God to forgive us through Jesus, it costs Jesus absolutely everything. Look, the high priest in, in, in Aaron's day, it, it was, there were definitely life choices that they had to give up. There were freedoms they gave up to do this. And it was a lot of work to, to follow the rituals and to stay in the systems and to do all those things. And there were, I'm sure there was a lot of weight to that person. They felt immense weight, but it didn't cost them everything like it did Jesus. Forgiveness is costly. So when we lose sight of how big sin is, we lose sight of how big forgiveness is, which then in turn loses sight just of how great Jesus is. That you can't compartmentalize those. You can't say Jesus is great, but sin is not that big a deal. Jesus' greatness is profound all by itself, but what he does through sin is what makes him truly truly the Messiah. And the third thing was that blood was necessary to be spilled. We'll, we'll talk more about that in Hebrews 9. Um, it says without, in Hebrews 9.22, it says, the, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Atonement for Israel's sin required a blood sacrifice. So why do we need a high priest? Why is it so important that you and I, 2,000 years later, with the temple long gone, why is it so important for us to be excited about Jesus being a high priest? Well, I, I can think of a couple things. One is Romans 8.34. It says, Jesus is now interceding for us to God. First John talks about the same thing. He is our advocate. It's, it's literally the picture of that when you do your little sin, if you submit it to Jesus Christ, you surrender your life, when you do your little sin that's not that big a deal that we've minimized, Jesus is literally looking at God saying, God, don't look at them, look at me. I paid for that. He's that, he's that lawyer that none of us can afford but every time, every time gets us out. That's, that's why that's important. It's important because without Jesus as a mediator, guys, we have no way to God. We have no right to stand in his presence, and we're left on our own. And my bet is, my bet is, some of you have lost sight of Scripture. You've not spent as much time here, and you already feel alone as a follower of Jesus. I mean, I already feel alone. I feel drastically disconnected. Well, let me... Let me just tell you, the scriptures teach that with Jesus as our high priest, you are never alone, ever. Oh, I just want to feel him more. Well, get to know him more. I just want to see him more. Well, obey him more, right? Like there's some simple things in our life that we can kind of remove the clutter to see this. Jesus as our mediator is incredible. But like I said at the beginning, if you don't really see the value in a budget, which is probably a totally different subject all in and of itself, Right? Some of you are like, man, I don't know what a budget is, and I don't know if I'll ever get there. That's another issue, okay? But if you don't see the value of Jesus as high priest, then you're going to miss the value of what it really truly means for you and for this broken, broken world. We, we need him more than he needs us. And see, see, even some of us today, we think like, oh, I did God a favor by submitting my life to him. 
Like we high-five ourselves, being, I'm a pretty good person. It's about time he brought me into his kingdom. We have, we have elevated ourselves and, and in turn lowered Jesus, which is crazy if you think about it because Jesus already lowered himself. He didn't stay at the throne. He could, they could have figured some other system to do it, but he didn't know. He, so I'm going to come down. I'm going to obey God. Which, by the way, you want to talk about obedience. The prayer he's offering here is talking about the Garden of Gethsemane. Have you ever gone back and read that? Just read it in Luke. Go read the context of Luke in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is praying, and I was, I was talking with Tanny about this this week, and this is my own interjection here, so don't, this is not what the Bible says, but I kind of feel like we read that prayer way too quickly of Jesus's, where he said, God, if there's any other way, why he's, by the way, sweating blood, so it seems like Jesus might be a little bit stressed, okay, just a little, okay, and he says, God, if there's any other way, but not, not, not my will, your will be done. That's how I usually read it. I usually read it, if there's any other way, but not your will, but my, my will be done, or not my will, but your will be done. I wonder if there's a pause in there. Again, this is my own thought. Like, this is Jesus literally asking, hey, is there any other way? Is there any other way, please? I, w- I want another way, but not my will. Your will be done. He sought through to obedience. He was obedient to God all the way through when it cost him absolutely everything. And that's the person, that's the person that you and I have to mediate for us to God. The <laughs> most amazing, beautiful, loving, profoundly great high priest who says, I will walk with you. I'm not just going to sit up on my throne. I have every right to. Man, I could stay there all day long and pat myself on the back. And it's not even prideful. Don't mind blowing. But instead he says, no, I'm going I'm to do something that no other high priest has ever been able to do. I'm going to be the sacrifice and the high priest all in one. I'm going to be the, the very thing that spills its blood on the altar before God so that the veil can be removed and you can have access to God once and for all. And I'm going to be the one that stands there advocating for you, mediating for you, standing in between your mistakes and God. Guys, this is profoundly huge. The, the band's going to come up and we're going to, we're going to worship some more. And as we do, I, I, want to, I want to challenge you with a couple things. If you've lost sight of Jesus as a high priest, which I'm just betting it's not the first spot you go. It wasn't for me. If you've lost sight of that, maybe spend just a little bit of time before you sing confessing that to God. That confession is powerful, especially when it's aligned to a repentant heart, turning from. Some of you, you've you got to recognize that you've, you've made sin too small in your life. You've allowed your pride to dictate the decisions you're making. You've allowed fear of man to be more powerful than the fear of God. You've, you've allowed these things to seep in, and, and dare I say, you're, you're slipping to a religious system like the Hebrews were. And so some of you maybe just need to confess that. Others of you, you need to stand up and you need to scream with joy that you don't have to give an account for the sins that you've done. It's already been paid for because you've submitted your life to Jesus Christ. Some of you, you like the idea of Jesus. As weird as it sounds, you like the idea of blood being spilled. But you just kind of keep standing on the outside looking in going, that's neat. I feel better when I'm around these people, but is this, is this what it is? Is this, is this what this really means? And you've not actually submitted yourself to Jesus Christ. Don't leave today without doing that. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, those of us that have submitted our lives to him as Lord and Savior, stop playing religion. Stop 
allowing yourself to get so much knowledge and, and, and then hold some prideful position, but never actually living out what God's Word calls us to. Why would we do that when we have such an incredible high priest that's advocating for us? Why would we pretend when we don't need to pretend anything because Jesus is the one that's speaking on our behalf? Just in case you didn't know, Danny talked about this a little bit last week too, but the idea of being naked and exposed, every single gross thought you've had, not even the ones you've followed through on, but including those, God knows about. Jesus knows about. Yet Jesus, obedient through his blood-stained tears in the Garden of Gethsemane, walked to that cross so that he could be that sacrifice and he could be that high priest that we so desperately needed once and for all, for all of us. In spite of what he knows about me and you, in spite of that, he's not made a mistake. He's not minimized our sins. He's not gone, oh, Brent, it was just a little one. Don't worry about it. Shucks. No, he doesn't do that. It's Brenna. I went to the cross for that. Yeah, my blood was spilled for that too, Brent. My blood was spilled for that. And every single sin is taken once and for all. Now, I can tell you right now, if you are a first century Jewish person and the system somewhat failed you as it was right now, and the sacrificial system was happening, and there's some persecution happening, that statement alone, one sacrifice once and for all, would have been a weight off. Oh, huge exhale. Are you kidding me? I have to travel quite a long ways to get to the temple just to make it to this festival every single year. May it mean more to us when we have little to no understanding of the sacrificial system, little to no understanding of the high priest, but may it mean more to us recognizing that Jesus Christ rightfully son, greater than angels, greater than priests, greater than anything else in this world, came down and walked as a human so he could relate to you and I and be that high priest that we didn't know we actually needed but so desperately cling to once we submit ourselves to it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us a high priest. God, forgive me. Forgive me for making light of my own sinfulness. Forgive me for not seeing um, the strength that comes in having you as my advocate. And forgive me for not believing the power I have through your spirit by submitting myself to you. God, as we stand or sit or sing or, or repent, God, I pray that you would do what only you can do, something profoundly huge in the heart of every single individual in here, where we no longer look at our, our lives through our sinfulness. Instead, we, we see you as our scapegoat. We see you literally taking our sins out from us so that we can be seen as righteous, redeemed, justified, being made complete. Father, I pray for the individuals in here that continue to um, hide behind fake obedience, hide behind um, hypocrisy, hide behind um, hardness of heart and lack of vulnerability, hide behind distancing themselves from community. God, I pray that you would just wreak havoc on their hearts. God, I pray that you would just, just destroy their hearts. Help them see that you literally left the throne, came down and walked, went to the cross only to be an advocate between us so that they don't have to be a hypocrite. They don't have to hold everyone at distance. They can submit themselves to you in completion. And God, for those of us in here that maybe just lost sight of this, Lord, I pray that this would be a day 
where we never, ever lose sight of just how important it is that you are mediating for us. How incredible it is that you are not only our high priest, but you are the sacrifice. How incredible it is that you are not only God, but you are human. And how all of those culminate and all of those happen to, to merge in your high priest role. We love you, Jesus. We, we need you, Jesus. If nothing else, God, would you just help people leave with maybe a little bit better understanding of their need for you? If that means that you have to rip things from their hands, then rip away, God. I know the truth in every single one of us. We'd rather be empty in your presence than full of all this garbage without you. And even though, Lord, we may be saying that as we're grabbing onto more garbage, would you please grab our hands and draw us closer to you? Father, it's in the profoundly great name, our high priest, our mediator, our sacrifice, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.